Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Carl Hughes. Carl, how are you? I'm excellent, Shahid. Good to see you. Oh man, good to see you as well. I'm so happy that you came on our show. Yeah. So Carl, you know, we always like to start the show with kind of giving the stage to the guests to introduce themselves in their own words, please. Sure, absolutely. My name is Carl Hughes. I am the founder of a company called Draft.dev. Uh, what we do is we create technical marketing content for companies that want to reach software engineers. So it typically looks like uh, web hosting companies or software testing tools, software uh, service tools. Uh, when they want to market a product out to software engineers, it can be really tough to reach that audience. So what we do for them is we write really technical, in-depth marketing content that almost supplements their documentation as well as attracts new users and brings in revenue for them. So it's a really weird mix of disciplines. We kind of play in the space of content marketing slash software engineering slash technical writing. Uh, and we kind of do a little bit of work in all those disciplines to get our clients what they need. Um, super niche business, but it's grown really yeah. quickly. Um, and it's just a really in-demand field at the moment. You know, I always love the niches, right? Like they produce so much better results when you're actually speaking to a specific person and you guys actually are getting right into their, into, into their mind about what they do. It's, and right. It's very specific. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And see, here's the thing. Like most people would hear me say that description and like, I don't even really understand what that is, but the tiny percentage of your, you know, either listeners or whatever, the 1% yeah. out there that says, oh, I need that. That's all I care about, right? Or I want yeah, to be the course. person that everybody thinks about when they think about this one really specific thing. And absolutely, it's yeah. contributed a lot to our growth, but it also yeah. allows us to stand out as a service provider. Oh, for sure. And and are you your background is software as well? Yeah, I spent about 10 years in venture-funded startups as a software engineer, engineering manager, and then CTO. And so went through the process of building and hiring engineering teams and architecting software and writing software. Uh, and on the side, I always liked writing prose as well. I'd write tutorials about what I was learning or just you know different tips that I picked up along the way. And what happened was eventually companies started reaching out to me and saying like, hey, would you write something for our blog? Because you know software and you know how to write. And so I'd do that occasionally just for fun. And then COVID hit and the last startup I was working for was starting to kind of hit the rocks. We put the engineering team all down to halftime to save money and just extend the runway a mm -hmm. bit. So I started writing more. And then draft.dev kind of came out of that. I was I started off just really um, freelancing, essentially. And then within about six months, I had started hiring other writers and an editor. Awesome. Um, and, you know, over the course of two years, we've gone from that to like 16 full-time people, uh, about 300 writers, uh, and then 90 clients. Yeah, so you have that that quality, right? You have that ability yeah. to put it on paper and just type away. So when you found these people, how did you find them? For example, you you put you you obviously put the word out, you you interviewed them, right? But you can never find another you, right? So yeah, how do you exactly. get that quality? You know what I mean? Like how do you get that I, quality absolutely. out there for yeah. customers? 
That's right. So the problem most people, when they approach like a difficult service business like this, that's complicated and requires this unique set of skills, what they'll typically try to do is look for unicorns to do exactly what they do. So in other words, I would have been, had to go look for another me. Problem is I was too expensive to hire. Uh, I mean, I had 10 years of engineering experience and leadership experience. It was going to be a multi six figure type hire. There's no way I could justify charging clients anywhere near that rate. So what I did was I broke down the jobs into multiple different sub jobs. So there's oh, the, the okay. research and outlining portion of the of writing. So mm-hmm. a client comes to us and says, we want an article about testing Python software. Great. Let's write a brief and outline. And that's a somewhat technical thing, but you don't have to be the subject matter expert who goes in and actually writes Python code, right? So there's mm-hmm. part one. The next part is actually writing the Python code, doing the testing. That needs to be a software engineer, could just be a part-time person. They don't have to be a great writer because the next mm-hmm. step is we find an editor who's going to clean them up and make sure they look really good to the client. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the trick of taking people who have specific skill sets and each of these areas and then coordinating the work off so that each of them do their ex- their their sort of um, zone of excellence. And that's the way we've scaled it. I mean, we now have like a probably seven step process basically to produce each piece. So several, many, many people touch each one, but it's mm-hmm. the only way to produce this stuff at scale and to scale up the Easy. operations without your cost scaling just, just out of whack. So you must have someone for keyword research as well then, right? Yeah, so we do some keyword research. We do some, um, you know, the the briefs and outlining. Not all of the content we write is is SEO based. It's interesting because this field is so technical. A lot of it can be like more um, customer centric. So if customers are asking mm. uh, questions like, "Oh, can I use your tool with uh, my Snowflake database that I have over here?" Um, then we need to write content that answers that question for their support teams as well as possibly, you know, a new marketing um, piece. And so there may not be SEO keyword volume for that piece, but it still could be really valuable to the company. So we end up doing mm. kind of a mix of things. But yeah, it definitely mm. keyword research is an important part of it. Yeah, it's an important part. And you mentioned tool. So what do you mean? Like, is it like a, a, a website where you go on and then you you fill in, you answer some questions and then you kind of come back with a, a custom offer? What do you mean by tool? Yeah. You mean for, for the way we work with clients? Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we have a pretty standard set of offerings. It's almost like a menu. When a client comes on a okay, sales call good. with us, we'll go through. Those are the best. It, yeah, it's very productized. And that was in, very mm. intentional. Um, you know, when I started this, I, I I got really interested in the idea of productized services, which is just kind of taking a service and making it, turning it into a menu so that it looks more like a product. Uh, mm-hmm. You can sell mm-hmm. it in, in smaller bits Smart. and you can kind of easily define the offering and the process to do it. So that's what we're, we, how we operate. So, you know, a client comes into a sales call and they get to kind of pick from the menu what they need. And then we have intake forms that get the info we need to, to, plan out and write each piece. We have different feedback systems so that they can, you know, click their, their satisfaction with each article and get revisions if they need them. Uh, and a lot of stuff like that, that's like semi-automated so that we can sort of allow our people to spend their effort on the writing, the high quality, the creative work, and the machine can do its part about just transferring, you know, feedback from clients to us, et cetera. Hmm. So there is some kind of artificial intelligence incorporated. <laughs> I wish it were that sophisticated. It's much more just like automations. Uh, you know, okay. it's just Automation. making sure that a client doesn't have to, uh, you know, send an email. Instead, they can just click a button on a, an interface, things like that, that yeah. essentially yeah. save people time, but aren't really much more than automating communication. Yeah. 
No, no, that's good. So are you, do you have like a blog or, or do you have something that you write consistently where you have members? So yeah, for the company itself, we do, um, you know, most of our clients are getting us to write content for their blogs. And so that's where most of oh, our, okay. you know, hundreds of pieces of content a, a month go out to is like out to, to dozens of websites around the internet. So, um, you know, you are, that's where our content generally goes. Now we, we also in-house do write content about writing this kind of technical content. Uh, and that does bring in a significant amount of traffic and, and we actually do a lot of sales just based on that content oh, nice. we write on our blog. So. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like if you're a content marketing company and you're not doing your own content marketing, um, mm. I mean, I think that's a little bit of a, a, a misalignment yeah. there. Uh, so we we definitely do, and we get pretty good results from it, depending on you know depending on what the goals is for each piece. Well, you know, I got to tell you one thing, Carl, and I, I whatever comes to mind, whatever flows through me, I ask you know just uh, at the moment, but. You you have a, a very good voice. So now, did you do you have a podcast or do you do you, like, oh do you have wow. a podcast? yeah well thank you no I do a lot of guesting on podcasts and I I, I do some webinars conference talks a few YouTube videos here and there it's a, I enjoy public speaking this is actually one of the one of the things that got me into this this world or attracted me to this business is that. Um, I remember in high school taking like a public speaking course and really enjoying it. It was one of those like influential piece or like courses in, in my, my education where I realized mm. that most people are really afraid of public speaking and struggle with it. And for me, it was, it was exciting. It was not the, the fear thing that, that most people get. I, yeah. I mean, I get nervous like anybody, but I definitely don't yeah. feel overcome by it. And it's always something I've gotten through. So I used to, yeah, a lot of conference speaking and things like that, but, but no, I haven't started a podcast yet. It's on my possible to-do list for next year, but yeah, uh, we'll see definitely. if I can get, get together. Yeah, I, I definitely think you should. And if you ever need help, that's what we do. We help people with that. So just let me know, get, get in touch with us. Because Absolutely. You already, you already have the, the foundation, the voice. Um, voice is is there's something about a voice you know it connects to hearts that vibration yeah. and yeah. when you have a specific type of voice uh you you don't want to leave that out because that that could make a, a a huge difference in your business and the number of people you're serving right because right you know you do quality work you need more people to know about it yeah yeah, this is actually an interesting one. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. Like as a business mm -hmm. owner, I actually intentionally try to remove myself from a lot of marketing. Um, and, and the reason is that as our, you know, as our company has grown, I don't want the company, the company's growth to be dependent on me a hundred percent. I mean, like I, sure, I want to contribute to it, mm -hmm. but I also want to look at this more in the owner investor mindset of how do I mm. build an organization that thrives when I can, when I step away. And, and so mm -hmm. for me, this is actually part of the reason I haven't started a podcast is that I haven't wanted to lock myself in and commit to gotcha. the like being in the seat running those podcasts. So I probably would end up like bringing in other people to, to help host it and eventually replacing myself. Um, mm -hmm. Because my philosophy on like starting a company is 
I should be able to, by the end of, you know, this journey, step away and the thing keeps running and growing without me. That's the ultimate goal. So like next month, I'm taking a month off for paternity leave. I'm going to shut down email, not answer my phone and just see what happens. And I've got great people in place that they're going to take care of 99.9% of things. And there'll be a couple fires when I come back and it'll be fine. Uh, But that's a huge like personal KPI for me is how, how long can I step away from the business and things still run? Yeah, no, no, for sure. And that's a great way to do it, right? You actually put them in the fire and see how they do because <laughs> that's how you realize who's up for it. You know, everyone in the organization, you'll, you'll see the leaders, they'll start popping up. Um, during that time, when you take that step, it's, it's excellent, excellent move. Absolutely. Uh, but obviously, you already have the team people. You already have the people that you're yeah. working with. You can slowly even start now, right? Like you can actually kind of move away, you know, even be there and not be there. Kind Definitely. Of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> so, been a, and, it's definitely been a like gradual process, right? Like I, yeah. I haven't, you know, I'm not going to, it's not literally throwing them into the fire and like, good luck. Yeah. It's more like <laughs> I, every, yeah, every week I look at like my team do list and I see which of these things could my team be doing and why am I still doing it? You know, is it really mm. critical that Carl is the one in that driver's seat doing that specific mm. task or is this something mm. someone else like my director of operations or account management could do? And um, that's really important. I think, I think this is something that um, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is letting things go because they're always going to yes. be slightly better at those things. I mean, yes. like, look, like yeah. when I gave up, um, uh, <laughs> like, running the account management team. Of course, I was like the best at customer support because I loved our customers. I knew every one of them. I had every single sales call up to that point. So of course, Mm -hmm. I like in the expert who could tell you how to answer every request from a customer. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, I became a bottleneck where that team couldn't grow and couldn't answer questions fast enough because I'm the one they're always going to and I was busy with other things. And so it's like, I don't want to be, I'm okay bringing someone in who is not quite as good at first they will get better. Mm. They will, you know, eventually surpass me because it frees up the bottleneck. Um, mm. And it's just also like let the mindset of letting people fail and and learn from mm. that failure is huge. And I think That's I learned huge. a lot when I got thrown into a leadership role at a young age yeah. and when I was not prepared. I just I failed a lot and I learned a lot and I got better eventually. Yeah. And I'm like I have yeah. the same mentality with my directors today. It's like, look, you're new leaders. You're going to have to do this. You're gonna, there's going to be pain but you'll get through that and you'll be way better on the other side and the organization yeah. will be better for it. Yeah. Carl, like throwing, you know, people into the fire is actually empowering because Absolutely. they, because every human being is, is extremely, extremely special. Like we, there's not a single human being in this world that doesn't have these, these special gifts, right? So when you put them in that situation, you empower them you know, the ones that start seeing that, the ones that start feeling that role and they start taking action, that leadership, those those qualities starts they start coming out, right? And then you start seeing yep. it. And you they they start moving up. You start seeing them move up, right? But when you don't empower them, if you kind of micromanage, it actually uh, devalues them, it kind of disempowers them. So I, I'm a firm believer in that. That's a great, great um, uh, process that you're thinking. Another thing I wanted to ask, uh, mention is the podcast, for example. When I started the podcast, that was my uh, thought process as well, right? Like I'm getting into this. I love it. 
getting into it, but am I, how can I leave this for my kids? Like, what do I, you know, what am I doing it for? Right. Yep. Like if something happens to me, then what will be the return, for example? So what came to mind is that if you love it and there's passion in it and you're doing it from the pace of passion, that stuff you don't want to concern with because you're doing it as a as a passion thing, right? Not as a as a business thing. Yeah, it helps business, right? But when you're doing it, yeah. even when you kind of step away, if you enjoy it, like if it's something that you like, you'll probably do it even regardless. Like it doesn't take much time, you know, out of a, out of a week. It is it could be done very um, in a relaxed manner. But it just depends on that passion level, right? Like, is this something that you right. enjoy, right? And you mentioned public speaking. So that way, that that could be something that you do as a hobby, for example, even if you step away. Uh, but yeah, definitely utilize that voice. Um, and do, <laughs> I do, appreciate do, that. Yeah, yeah. Do you do any... Um, Anything on the audio side of things, like for people, the blogs, for example, do you actually produce yeah. scripts? Yeah, this is a yeah, it's a good question. We don't right now. We I know a couple of our clients do use podcasts as one of okay. their their channels for marketing, and this is something we've been talking about um, internally a bit too. Now, I'll say that like we're very intentional with how we launch new services. We don't just do everything all at once. One of the, yeah. I believe one of the biggest mistakes service businesses can make is trying to do everything for everybody. Um, and mm -hmm. so we do one very narrow thing for one very specific type of client. That's it. And that's what's allowed us to be successful and grow and scale so well. Now, that said, as we grow and we hit like a cap of kind of reaching the most, you know, the clients that we realistically can reach and we're kind of like hitting a slow and steady growth curve, uh, we're going to start looking and we are looking at like adding other service lines that can help cross sell things to those existing clients. So for example, podcasting is one that we've talked about um, as well as video content is another really interesting one. I would love mm -hmm. to get involved in both of those over time, but it is mm -hmm. a, um, we're very intentional about it. We're just very picky about how far we go into each thing. Uh, this year mm -hmm. we launched, or we're, we're in the middle of launching a, a job board to serve our clients. One of the big requests that they have is they love working with us on a, like on a contract or freelance, you know, kind of like having these freelance writers work with them, but they need full-time people too. And we don't do that. We don't want to, you know, be a full-time person for them. So the giving them a, like access to talent that we have sort of like that we have in our network is a huge plus for them. And so that's, that's the, the thing we're launching this year. Now that said next year, I think we'll probably launch another thing. Could be podcasting, could be video, could be something slightly different, but that's cool. yeah, we're, we're really, yeah, definitely into that. I mean, I think one of the exciting things about the industry we're in is that it is growing by like 20% a year it has been for the last four mm -hmm. years. And so it's a multi-billion dollar industry. That's like, tacking on billions every year. And the the great opportunity for us is we're already in a leadership position being one of the very few content providers that works with this audience. Um, and so we could definitely go out there and cross sell a lot of other stuff to them over time. That's good. So how do you, for example, with, with artificial intelligence, right? Like some of these tools out there, like Jarvis, I believe it's called Jarvis sure. or something else. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. But they changed it. Um, yeah, Jasper, I think is what they changed. I, to, right? Jasper, I, they I changed don't, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do they, I'm Carl, super do they have, Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, no, I have a lot of, of thoughts of this. I, I went through last last 
December and tested six yeah. or so of those. They're all based yeah. on GPT three, so like they're. they're I, I'm very curious similar. to learn about that from you. Like, yeah, you yeah, think? they're super, yeah. super interesting, but it's also still super nascent the technology. So mm-hmm. there's a couple limitations yeah. right now that sort of um, that are, are standing in the way, and I think these will get better over time. But I'll just you know I can throw them out there. So with the super deep technical stuff that we're writing there often is not much existing content on the particular subject matter. So what can be really tricky for these AI tools, they they work off of reading, quote unquote, the existing content on the internet, and then sort of being able to digest it and a little bit under, you know, sort of understand the context of it, and then spit out something similar when you ask for it. And so that's great for a topic where there's millions of articles already written about mm, it. Like if you yes. want to write, a you know, an article about running shoes, you could absolutely mm-hmm. get Jarvis to write you a fairly decent article about running shoes. And it would, it would at least sound like a human wrote it for the most part. Yeah. Now, it's not going to be as insightful as say, you know, a trail runner with 30 years of experience, but it's going to be something mm. on the mm. other hand, when you want this, te- this stuff, these, these AI tools to write you a deeply technical article about the new Linux kernel, like, release that just happened two weeks ago and it how it impacts kubernetes clusters like no there's no way it's not even close like it doesn't it doesn't understand any of that because it's all so new you're you're sort of it doesn't have enough information to pull from and it's just complex the way that these things tie together so Mm. uh for now we're safe now that said i think i see a future where we use like an ai plus human or a human in the loop sort of uh, flow where a single writer, let's say, could write more content faster using an AI tool to help help with some of the general information or maybe help form sentences better. One of our big mm-hmm. challenges is a lot of our writers are not native English speakers. They're software engineers, but they might live in India, South America, like uh, a lot of people in Africa, like they're all over the yeah. world and they speak yeah. enough English and write enough English to be fairly good, but they definitely sound like they're not native American English yeah. speakers. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's fair. So what these AI tools could be doing in the future is taking their sort of like maybe rougher English and helping like form the story mm-hmm. and be a little more like cohesive and maybe get a little bit stronger there. And I think that'll be really exciting to see as they progress. So I am super bullish on the tools. I think they'll get there, they'll get better and they'll be really useful. Right now they're still in this phase where they're, they have kind of limited use until people really figure out some of the the quirks of them. Mm. Did you have the entrepreneur bug growing up? <laughs> uh, yeah, my dad had um, he he owned his own antique store with a, a couple of of friends for for many many years. So he was an entrepreneur, um, and I since college have kind of tried starting my own business. I think um, I've had at least a dozen or so side projects that I thought might be the thing that, that I could do, uh, the first real business to start in the last uh, decade. And um, none of them really took off. It's interesting, like all those little those little behind the scenes failures you kind of go through that most yeah, people never saw I can or never relate. know anything about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So whenever people tell me like they're starting, they're like, you know, wanting to know like, Oh, how did you make this thing take off and grow so fast? I'm like, well, I tried 12 things that never went anywhere. Exactly. And, and yeah. I had a job yeah. for 10 years and eventually this yeah. came out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we have, uh, you know, every success, if you really look at it, is paved by failures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's where the lessons are without, if you don't take the, the leap, if you don't take the step and not, if you're afraid to fail, uh, 
is, yeah. is, is not for you, you know, but if you create the courage to go and, and, and you're okay and you accept failure as a lesson, learning lesson, then it's right. wonderful entrepreneurship. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll say that like get having a job for 10 years, I worked for small startups. I was the first employee twice um, and got to go from zero, you know, this like two, three person companies up to 20 and 30 person companies. That was an awesome experience. And I would say that, you know, a lot of people, um, if you, you know, they think they're pure entrepreneurs through and through, should they never want to have a job. Like joining a really small company is actually a really mm. nice way to see what entrepreneurship is like from the ground. And then mm-hmm. you go out on your own and you've learned all these lessons. Like I got to sit in on investor calls where we were, you know, meeting with VCs and, and people to raise money. And I never would have gotten that if I went and worked at a big fortune 500 for 10 years. Um, yeah. I never would have gotten exposure to like, how um how to make your first sale of something you know getting to see that mm-hmm. actually happen like and hear the salespeople talking about it hear their meetings like that was super helpful for me when i started to oh, yeah. do sales and then hire a salesperson and i had never done any of that so anyway all this to say like it can be a really good experience even if it's not your ultimate goal and you know in in life yeah yeah no it's uh one thing I have to mention is that I'm grateful that you keep mentioning our brand name in your conversation. So that is a, <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> Whenever I hear a guest, you don't mention super. It's like, yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Super. <laughs> yeah. I, I so, probably use that word too yeah. much, but that's all right. No, it's good. <laughs> it's a good place to use it's it. It's a right? perfect place. <laughs> perfect place to use it. Yeah. And the funny thing is I use it too. So, you know, I, in my, in the show, I'll, I'll always say super important or super this and super that. And I use it so much. Sometimes I feel like I shouldn't be doing it, but I want to be natural. Whatever's coming out, I let it go. So, right. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, yeah, the corporate world. I found that, you know, I interview a lot of people, Carl. So I find that the people that have the experience in the corporate side that go into business, uh, their structure sounds um, a lot more organized. You know, sure. they, they talk about their business, you know, like their 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 divisions and, and how they structure yeah. their, their business sounds a lot more organized than the ones that are co- – with business their entire life. I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think mm. I worked in my internships in college were huge companies. So GE, Siemens. Um, and so the nice thing about that was I kind of got a little bit of exposure to the big corporate world. Um, mm. Now, I was not you know there for 10 years or anything like that. But like even just those the year of internships I did, it gave me a ton of insight into how they break down you know, big organizations into structures, which actually is, I will say to your point, I do think that's really helpful, especially mm-hmm. as you think about growing. Um, you know, one thing I've always done as a matter of habit, and this is partly to, there's a, there's some books that, that are kind of good for this, but like, um, is, is just to build out our org chart today and then how it should look in six or 12 yes. or 24 months and just have yeah. that as like a constant thing in my head of like, where are we building mm-hmm. towards and what key hires do we need to make? Yeah. Um, yeah, that it's really helpful. And it also, it helps to clarify to the team. One thing that we've, mm-hmm. cause we've grown so fast, we've hired managers and then, you know, directors and having these different levels. It's like, sometimes people aren't clear on who they're supposed to be reporting to or asking questions mm-hmm. to and having an org chart that just shows them like, look, this is your direct boss. This is the line you should, 
be going. Yeah. It actually, as much as I know entrepreneurs kind of hate that, they always want this like flat or some of them want this flat mm-hmm. organization where everybody mm-hmm. just does their own thing. It's like, it's just not realistic and not, not what mm-hmm. most people want. Most people want clear directives from a boss who gives them feedback and they know they're, you know, they're answering to. And so having that set out is actually really helpful for employees as well. Yeah. And initially the org org chart is usually your own name when you're starting out, right? Every part. Right. Yeah. You're every your on name. every box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know you kind of start to say like yourself. Yeah, but even even if you just do that, it can be really helpful. So one thing I did early on was I divided, I would measure my time. I would track my time and I'd track the amount of time I spent in marketing, in sales, in writing articles, mm-hmm. in editing articles, in hiring people. And I started to like mm-hmm. track the time in each category and say, okay, these are the roles I'm doing. And then when one of those roles became a big time sink for me, I started to look at how do I hire somebody to do that role? And so that was like my guide early on for hiring the first employees was, okay, I know I'm spending 10 hours a week writing articles. Um, is that the highest leverage thing I could do? Or could I take that 10 hours a week and just go do more sales and hire somebody to write? And that's like pretty quickly how I decided to start hiring writers, then editors, mm. then, you know, uh, account Excellent. managers. And yeah, so it's it's a really helpful guide. And I think something that a lot of people don't have the discipline to do, but I think it really, it, it will help you set out your org chart and start to like actually fill in those positions if you think about your time in what you're actually doing. Mm, no, excellent, excellent point. Um, can you share what you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point? Ooh, <laughs> that's a big one. I, I, it's hard to pick one. I think Top probably one, just, the, just probably the you, biggest. No rush. Yeah, yeah. Probably the biggest thing is being unafraid to delegate or to like, you know, get other people to do work for me. Uh, one of the things that we talked about this a bit already, but like, I remember distinctly the first time I started hiring other writers and they screwed things up and they screwed things up and the clients were pissed, uh, you know, and things like that would happen. And I remember it felt terrible, but I also realized that that was the pain I needed to go through to figure out how to stop screwing it up. <laughs> like I needed to, yeah, I needed to, to make that mistake of hiring, say the mm. wrong writer, the wrong editor mm. for a few times before mm. I could get the right one. I could learn how to like define the role. And so I kind of just looked at it as this is painful, but this learn, this pain is the learning that I need to go through. And um, mm. so my ability to delegate and like let go of tasks really easily and not be afraid that they'll not get done or like that I won't figure out how to delegate them. That's been a huge superpower in unlocking. I mean, it, it allows me, again, this is why I can take a month off in a, in a small company and I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. It's why mm-hmm. we have a growing team that solves a lot of its own problems without my input. It's why I don't mm-hmm. have to do sales calls all day, every day. I don't have to Good. talk to our clients anymore. Um, just all this stuff that like generally a lot of entrepreneurs struggle to get out of, even at much mm-hmm. bigger sizes than me. Carl, I can relate to that for sure because when I'm working with people and, and with my team, they will come to me. They'll ask, you know, what should I do? I said, what would you do? 
right? So they're they're used to that. I love that. Yeah, they know. Yeah, they know know that if they come to you, that's what's going to come back. So what do you do? I do. Yeah, I do the exact same thing. I tell everybody in orientation. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to answer your questions. Just be ready. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And then they start saying, okay, well, this this is an option. This is the pros. And they they give you all the answers. I go, so what is it? Like, it's so obvious, right? Which way to go? And so this way I go, yeah, I think that you just you just did it. I didn't do nothing. Yeah, like you just did thing. it. So, yeah, you just did it. So it's very empowering, and people love that. Definitely. Initially, they don't like oh, it. Yeah. They kind of they kind of push back and say, "Hey, my job is not to to think." Kind of, for example. Yeah. Well, they just I think want the best the people love it, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like I think yeah. to, I would argue that there might be people who who always hate that, but they probably aren't yeah. the right people to hire, regardless. Yeah. So. What True. I always look for is like people who are super uncomfortable that never get how to make their own decisions and just, you know, yeah. take initiative. They're going to get weeded yeah. out pretty quickly in a small company like this. Yeah. We don't have a lot of room yeah. for those kind of people, but yeah. the people who embrace it and love it and thrive in that environment, yeah. it keeps them super engaged. It keeps them like around longer. They get, yeah. they are excited by every day because they get to make their yeah. own decisions and empower themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan. There's a book called That's the decision perfect. maker that, that I yeah. remember distinctly reading it. It's kind of a parable business book about exactly that. It's like, how can you, as a manager, mm-hmm. how can you basically delegate decisions down to everybody at the front lines as much as possible? Yeah. And the the awesome. empowerment that that leads to, and like, as long as you have the right incentives aligning everything and you have the right like sort of information, you're giving them enough information to make good decisions. There's no reason that frontline people or middle managers can't make a lot of the important decisions that in in poorly run organizations bubble all the way up to the executives. Mm, no, for sure. Carl, man, it's been amazing talking to you, my friend. Like uh, the information, uh, the voice, you know, everything has just has been <laughs> great. It's an honor to share your message uh, with everyone. And, and I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to, to add value in, in the public, uh, public's eye. Yeah, it's great to be here. You're a super host, and uh, this is a super Thank podcast. You. So I am oh, excited nice. to, to have the opportunity to be on, and can't wait to talk again yeah. soon. Oh, for sure. Anytime, any anything. If you need any help, let me know. Uh, email away. And audience, <clears throat> thank you so much again. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Love all the engagement and uh, the messages and the, the reviews. Um, you know, without you, really, this is, is nothing, right? We're trying to add value in your lives and trying to give you some pointers and help where you could take that step for you and your family, right? And if you are in business, amplify it. There's so much to be learned here with these wonderful guests. Thank you so much for being part of this show. And Carl, thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. 